Hi, my name is Father Mike Schmitz, and you're listening to the Bible in a Year podcast, where we encounter God's voice and live life through the lens of Scripture. The Bible in a Year podcast is brought to you by Ascension. Using the Great Adventure Bible timeline, we'll read all the way from Genesis to Revelation, discovering how the story of salvation unfolds and how we fit into that story today. It is day 289. We're reading 1 Maccabees chapter 8, Sirach chapters 22 and 23, Proverbs chapter 22, verses 26 through 29. As always, the Bible translation I'm reading from is the Revised Standard Version, Second Catholic Edition. I'm using the Great Adventure Bible from Ascension. If you want to download your own Bible in a Year reading plan, you can visit ascensionpress.com slash Bible in a Year. You can also subscribe to this podcast by clicking on subscribe and receiving daily episodes and daily updates because it is day 289. It's worth saying. (laughs) I know maybe I say this too often. This is incredible. This is incredible that you are still here in day 289. Think back to uh, whenever you began this podcast, that first day, day one, you're like, man, 365 days. Here we go. And here you are 289 days later, whether that was actual 289 you know, calendar days or whether you know it's more than that when it comes to the calendar days, or maybe you caught up, you had the first couple, maybe first 100 days, you were doing two a days, you know, kind of a situation. But the fact is here you are more than, more than halfway through the entire Bible. I don't even know, three quarters maybe. Uh, we're a long way through the Bible and here you are still. So anyways, as I said, it's day 289. <laughs> I just want to say I'm proud of y'all. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> day 289, First Maccabees chapter 8, Sirach 22 and 23, Proverbs chapter 22, verses 26 through 29. The first book of Maccabees, chapter 8, an eulogy of the Romans. Now Judas heard of the fame of the Romans, that they were very strong and were well disposed toward all who made an alliance with them, that they pledged friendship to those who came to them, and that they were very strong. Men told him of their wars and of the brave deeds which they were doing among the Gauls, how they had defeated them and forced them to pay tribute, and what they had done in the land of Spain to get control of the silver and gold mines there, and how they had gained control of the whole region by their planning and patience, even though the place was far distant from them. They also subdued the kings who came against them from the ends of the earth until they crushed them and inflicted great disaster upon them. The rest paid them tribute every year. Philip and Perseus, king of the Macedonians, and the others who rose up against them, they crushed in battle and conquered. They also defeated Antiochus the Great, king of Asia, who went to fight against them with a hundred and twenty elephants and with cavalry and chariots and a very large army. He was crushed by them. They took him alive and decreed that he and those who should reign after him should pay a heavy tribute and give hostages and surrender some of their best provinces, the country of India and Medea and Lydia. These they took from him and gave to Eumenes, the king. The Greeks planned to come and destroy them, but this became known to them, and they sent a general against the Greeks and attacked them. Many of them were wounded and fell, and the Romans took captive their wives and children. They plundered them, conquered the land, tore down their strongholds, and enslaved them to this day. The remaining kingdoms and islands, as many as ever opposed them, they destroyed and enslaved. But with their friends, and those who rely on them, they have kept friendship. They have subdued kings far and near, and as many as have heard of their fame have feared them. Those whom they wish to help and to make kings, they make kings, and those whom they wish to depose, and they have been greatly exalted." Yet for all this, not one of them has put on a crown or worn purple as a mark of pride, but they have built for themselves a senate chamber, and every day 320 senators constantly deliberate concerning the people to govern them well. They trust one man each year to rule over them and to control all their land. They all heed the one man, and there is no envy or jealousy among them. An Alliance with Rome 
So Judas chose Eupolemus, the son of John, son of Akos, and Jason, the son of Eleazar, and sent them to Rome to establish friendship and alliance, and to free themselves from the yoke, for they saw that the kingdom of the Greeks was completely enslaving Israel. They went to Rome, a very long journey, and they entered the senate chamber and spoke as follows. Judas, who is also called Maccabeus, and his brothers, and the people of the Jews, have sent us to you to establish alliance and peace with you, that we may be enrolled as your allies and friends. The proposal pleased them, and this is a copy of the letter which they wrote in reply on bronze tablets and sent to Jerusalem to remain with them there as a memorial of peace and alliance. May all go well with the Romans and with the nation of the Jews at sea and on land forever, and may sword and enemy be far from them. If war comes first to Rome or to any of their allies in all their dominion, the nation of the Jews shall act as their allies wholeheartedly, as the occasion may indicate to them. And to the enemy who makes war, they shall not give or supply grain, arms, money, or ships, as Rome has decided, and they shall keep their obligations without receiving any return. In the same way, if war comes first to the nation of the Jews, the Romans shall willingly act as their allies, as the occasion may indicate to them. And to the enemy allies shall be given no grain, arms, money, or ships, as Rome has decided, and they shall keep these obligations and do so without deceit. Thus on these terms the Romans make a treaty with the Jewish people. If after these terms are in effect, both parties shall determine to add or delete anything, they shall do so at their discretion, and any addition or deletion that they make shall be valid. And concerning the wrongs which King Demetrius is doing to them, we have written to him as follows. Why have you made your yoke heavy upon our friends and allies, the Jews? If now they appeal again for help against you, we will defend their rights and fight you on sea and on land. The Book of Sirach, Chapter 22 On Wisdom, Folly, and Self-Control The indolent may be compared to a filthy stone, and everyone hisses at his disgrace. The indolent may be compared to the filth of dunghills, Anyone that picks it up will shake it off his hand. It is a disgrace to be the father of an undisciplined son, and the birth of a daughter is a loss. A sensible daughter obtains her husband, but one who acts shamefully brings grief to her father. An impudent daughter disgraces father and husband and will be despised by both. Like music in mourning is a tale told at the wrong time, but chastising and discipline are wisdom at all times. He who teaches a fool is like one who glues potsherds together or who rouses a sleeper from deep slumber. He who tells a story to a fool tells it to a drowsy man and at the end he will say, What is it? Weep for the dead, for he lacks the light, and weep for the fool, for he lacks intelligence. Weep less bitterly for the dead, for he has attained rest, but the life of the fool is worse than death. Mourning for the dead lasts seven days. But for a fool or an ungodly man, it lasts all his life. Do not talk much with a foolish man, and do not visit an unintelligent man. Guard yourself from him to escape trouble, and you will not be soiled when he shakes himself off. Avoid him, and you will find rest, and you will never be wearied by his madness. What is heavier than lead, and what is its name except fool? Sand, salt, and a piece of iron are easier to bear than a stupid man. A wooden beam firmly bonded into a building will not be torn loose by an earthquake. So the mind firmly fixed on a reasonable counsel will not be afraid in a crisis. 
A mind settled on an intelligent thought is like the stucco decoration on the wall of a colonnade. Fences set on a high place will not stand firm against the wind, so a timid heart with a fool's purpose will not stand firm against any fear. A man who pricks an eye will make tears fall, and one who pricks the heart makes it show feeling. One who throws a stone at birds scares them away, and one who reviles a friend will break off the friendship. Even if you have drawn your sword against a friend, do not despair, for a renewal of friendship is possible. If you have opened your mouth against your friend, do not worry, for reconciliation is possible. But as for reviling, arrogance, disclosure of secrets, or a treacherous blow, in these cases any friend will flee. Gain the trust of your neighbor in his poverty, that you may rejoice with him in his prosperity. Stand by him in time of affliction, that you may share with him in his inheritance. The vapor and smoke of the furnace precede the fire, so insults precede bloodshed. I will not be ashamed to protect a friend, and I will not hide from him. But if some harm should happen to me because of him, whoever hears of it will beware of him. Oh, that a guard were set over my mouth, and a seal of prudence upon my lips, that it may keep me from falling, so that my tongue may not destroy me. Chapter 23 O Lord, Father and Ruler of my life, do not abandon me to their counsel, and let me not fall because of them. O that whips were set over my thoughts, and the discipline of wisdom over my mind, that they may not spare me in my errors, and that it may not pass by my sins, in order that my mistakes may not be multiplied, and my sins may not abound. Then I will not fall before my adversaries, and my enemy will not rejoice over me. O Lord, Father, and God of my life, do not give me haughty eyes, and remove from me evil desire. Let neither gluttony nor lust overcome me, and do not surrender me to a shameless soul. Listen, my children, to instruction concerning speech. The one who observes it will never be caught. The sinner is overtaken through his lips. The reviler and the arrogant are tripped by them. Do not accustom your mouth to oaths, and do not habitually utter the name of the Holy One. For as a servant who is continually examined under torture will not lack bruises, so also the man who always swears and utters the name will not be cleansed from sin. A man who swears many oaths will be filled with iniquity, and the scourge will not leave his house. If he offends, his sin remains on him, and if he disregards it, he sins doubly. If he has sworn needlessly, he will not be justified, for his house will be filled with calamities. There is an utterance which is comparable to death. May it never be found in the inheritance of Jacob. For all these errors will be far from the godly, and they will not wallow in sins. Do not accustom your mouth to lewd vulgarity, for it involves sinful speech. Remember your father and mother when you sit among great men, lest you be forgetful in their presence and be deemed a fool on account of your habits. Then you will wish that you had never been born, and you will curse the day of your birth. A man accustomed to using insulting words will never become disciplined all his days. Two sorts of men multiply sins, and a third incurs wrath. The soul heated like a burning fire will not be quenched until it is consumed. A man who commits fornication with the near of his kin will never cease until the fire burns him up. To a fornicator, all bread tastes sweet. He will never cease until he dies. A man who breaks his marriage vows says to himself, Who sees me? Darkness surrounds me, and the walls hide me, and no one sees me. Why should I fear? The Most High will not take notice of my sins. 
His fear is confined to the eyes of men, and he does not realize that the eyes of the Lord are ten thousand times brighter than the sun. They look upon all the ways of men and perceive even the hidden places. Before the universe was created, it was known to him. So it was also after it was finished. This man will be punished in the streets of the city, and where he least suspects it, he will be seized. So it is with a woman who leaves her husband and provides an heir by a stranger. For first of all, she has disobeyed the law of the Most High. Second, she has committed an offense against her husband. And third, she has committed adultery through harlotry and brought forth children by another man. She herself will be brought before the assembly and punishment will fall on her children. Her children will not take root and her branches will not bear fruit. She will leave her memory for a curse and her disgrace will not be blotted out. Those who survive her will recognize that nothing is better than the fear of the Lord and nothing sweeter than to heed the commandments of the Lord. The Book of Proverbs, chapter 22, verses 26 through 29. Be not one of those who gives pledges, who become surety for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should your bed be taken from under you? Remove not the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Father in heaven, we give you praise and thank you. Thank you for this day and for this reading today. My gosh, Lord God, um, we ask that you please guide us in all of our decisions so that we can do what is right. We know what is right and we can do and accomplish your will in all things. Uh, we give you praise this day. Please, in the name of Jesus, receive our thanks, receive our praise and receive us as yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So um, first reading, right? First Maccabees chapter 8. What we have is a little, um, it says a eulogy of the Romans. Actually, it says an eulogy of the Romans, which is kind of hard to read, you know, because anyways, it says eulogy of the Romans. And basically, demonstrating that at this point, what is happening? The Greeks are being replaced by the Romans. We've seen this so many times, right? The, here's the Assyrians, here's the Babylonians. The Babylonians are replaced by the Persian, the Medo persian Empire, that's replaced by the Greeks. Now here's the Romans who are replacing them and they're destroying everything. In fact, there's this, almost like this praise of the Romans and how good they are at conquering, um, but also how faithful they are to those who make alliance with them. And that's what's gonna happen, right? In this chapter eight, here is this newly established, or I guess maybe newly independent uh, Jewish state, essentially under Judas Maccabeus. Judas Maccabeus, who is, he and his brothers have driven out the Greeks, and now they're making an alliance with Rome because they have the understanding that at this point, Rome is kind of at its, I don't want to say its height, but in some ways it is, right? So they don't have the emperor yet of Rome. They are still a Senate that is guiding the, the community. And as they noted uh, in the end, well, the middle of chapter eight in verse essentially 15, 16, they talk about how here is the policy of Rome. They have the 300 plus senators and one man each year takes the point, you know? So it's not an emperor, it's not a king. It's not someone who will, you know, rule as a, as a monarch. But here are the senators, and they elect this one person for one year, and he basically doesn't even rule. He is kind of, as I said, the point person um, who relinquishes his power at the end of a year. And it's just it's a kind of a remarkable situation. I don't know if we've ever seen that in human history uh, until here's the Romans. And here's the author of Maccabees who acknowledges that that 
has some wisdom to it. And what also had some wisdom to it was this alliance that uh, the Jewish people made with Rome because they know that, yes, while they have Judas Maccabeus, they've been able to fight against uh, those invading armies, those conquering armies, and yet that's not going to last forever. Now, at the same time, this is so interesting. One of the things we've highlighted is that Judas Maccabeus and, and his brothers have been praying to the Lord for help. And when it comes to battle, they are relying upon him. But have you noticed how in First in Maccabees, it is not the same as we when we read in Kings, the book of Kings or the book of Chronicles, where it was very, very clear that who was running the place, who was leading was the spiritual sense, right? That's those spiritual leaders, those prophets who have been raised up. We don't have any prophets here. In fact, that's even notes this a couple chapters ago when they go back into Jerusalem and they restore the temple, they don't know what to do with the stones that were desecrated, the altar stones that were desecrated in the temple. And they, so they buried them for a prophet to come along who would know what to do with them. They are, I don't want to say they're, they're flying blind, but they don't have someone currently speaking the word of God or the will of God into their lives. Yes, of course they have their tradition and of course they have uh, the scripture, but they're lacking that voice of say a Samuel. They're lacking that voice of Elijah. They're lacking that voice of Isaiah. I mean, we have spent so much time with the prophets that we know what they sound like. One of the things that they said is, do not enter an alliance with Egypt. <laughs> don't enter an, you might think that they're going to save you, but they're not going to save you. So don't do this. And um, don't enter an alliance with these other kingdoms because they're not going to save you. You need to trust, strictly speaking, in the Lord. It is fascinating that here is Judas, Maccabeus, and the others, and they don't have a prophet saying, don't enter into alliance with Rome. And so they're just basically, again, saying, well, this seems like a smart thing to do. So let's do this smart thing. Here's Rome that apparently treats its friends well, treats its allies well, and doesn't yet have, well, it's going to, of course, we know this. It doesn't yet have an emperor who will be the monarch and be the, the essentially dictator. Um, they still have a in some ways, again, a wise Senate. So it's it's remarkable to note that, uh, well, it seems like a smart thing to enter into an alliance with Rome, but what would a prophet say? Would a prophet say, yes, go ahead and do that. This is the momentary, this is the best next step. Or would a prophet say what the other prophets had said when it came to an alliance with Egypt? Would they say, stay away, do not do this. Do not enter into an alliance with a nation that you think will protect you because ultimately they will enslave you. Because that's, as we know, what's going to happen, even if it takes a little while. So First uh, Maccabees 8, and tomorrow we'll go through 9. <laughs> but we also read today from Sirach chapter 22 and 23, which I just, oh man, wisdom, folly, self-control. What an incredible, incredible gift uh, it is to be able to, spend this time to be able to say, okay, the value of wisdom and the folly of foolishness and, and the worthlessness of foolishness. Um, and not only being foolish oneself, but also spending time with someone that we know is is foolish, right? So not only does Sirach say that um, weep for the dead, you're going to mourn for the dead seven days, but for a fool or an ungodly person, you know, that mourning lasts all their life. The life of a fool is worse than death going on to say, not just for your oneself, but also do not talk much with a foolish man and do not visit an unintelligent man. Guard yourself from him to escape trouble. Now we can do that in our daily lives. We can say, you know, I really want to surround myself with the best kind of people. I've maybe mentioned this quote before a thousand times, I don't know, give or take. Uh, I can't remember the, the gentleman who originally said it, but said basically that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And that, and that's, you know, it's, it's just, it's a saying 
that uh, kind of basically sums up all that we've heard about when it comes to spending time with a fool, spending time with the virtuous people, is we become the average of the five people we spend the most time with. But not only that, not only the people that were around do not talk much with a foolish man, do not visit an unintelligent man, guard yourself from him to escape trouble. Okay, I might do that in my daily life. I might say, no, actually, I really associate with people that I see are virtuous, people that I, I know to be wise, but what about our media? And that's, that's the thing is, you know, we might have quote unquote friends um, in TV shows, this particular character or that particular uh, story, this particular group of friends in uh, on a TV show or in a movie that we continually go back to. And if we were really to ask, now, are those people living lives of wisdom? Are they living lives of folly? We might realize, oh, the characters that I love, the characters that I follow, uh, they're living lives of foolishness. And so maybe... I'm allowing them to speak foolishness into my life on a regular basis. Now, it might not even be the characters in a TV show. It could be the authors, right? The, the people who are writing the show that you wouldn't, I would say, no, I never want to be friends with those people because we have different values. And not to say that they're not worth love, not to say they're not worth you know, your time or the death of Jesus because he declares that they're worth his death in his life. But we invite either wisdom or folly into our lives on a daily basis when it comes to who we listen to, even if we don't actually know those individuals, we are inviting wisdom or we are inviting folly into our lives in some way, which I think is just very, it's worth doing an examination of conscience about this. Okay, a couple of last ones to, to highlight. Oh, that a guard were set over my mouth <laughs> and a seal of prudence upon my lips that it may keep me from falling so that my tongue may not destroy me. That's the last verse in chapter 22. It's chapter 22, verse 27. That a guard were set over my mouth. That's just like, I think it's Psalm 141. That might be Psalm 141, where it says, he set a Lord a guard over my lips. Keep watch at the door of my mouth. Yeah, because how many times, how many times um, do we need to just guard what we say? Not only what we take in, we don't want that to be, folly or foolishness, but also what we say. And I love this in, in chapter 23, verse two, oh, that whips were set over my thoughts and the discipline of wisdom over my mind <laughs> and, and uh, that they may not spare me in my errors and that it may not pass by my sins. Basically, in order that my mistakes may not be multiplied, my sin may not abound, that sense of, gosh, I wish I was more disciplined. <laughs> and that's the thing. It's like whips set over my thoughts, discipline of wisdom over my mind so that I don't just keep making the same mistake over and over again, that my my folly is multiplied, my sins overwhelm me, but to be able to say, gosh, Lord, please discipline my mind. Let me, let my mind think of beautiful things and my heart turn to, to good things and let me choose wise things. Just so, so good. Okay, last, last little note. At the end, middle to end of chapter 23, beginning with verse 16, there's the question. The question is, who sees me? No, this is in relation to in verse 18, a man who breaks his marriage vows says to himself, who sees me? Darkness surrounds me. The walls hide me. No one sees me. So why should I fear? The most high will not take notice of my sins. But that could be any sin, right? This is in this case is a adulterer essentially. But how many of our sins are, <laughs> we think that because they're, they're personal sins, like they're close to us, that they're still private. And yet we realize there's no such thing as private sin. It might be personal, right? right? We might be the only ones who know about it. But there's no such thing as private sins. As Jesus said, no word whispered in the dark will not be declared from the rooftops. Nothing hidden in the darkness will not be revealed by the light. Not only that, but God himself, God himself is with us at all times, which is a great consoling truth, but at the same time should be a convicting truth as well. To be able to say, okay, God, if you're with me at all times, then 
let me walk in the light of your presence. Let me walk in the light of your truth. Let me walk in the light of your wisdom. And yet so often, so many of us, we uh, choose to walk in folly. And so we say, God, please, um, spare me from my private sins becoming public, my personal sins becoming public. But at the same time, Lord, keep me from sins in the first place. Keep me in your will always. And that's going to be our prayer for today because, (laughs) uh, gosh, we're made to walk in the light and we're made for the light. We ask, you know, God, what would your prophets say to the Jews making an alliance with Rome? And God, what would your prophets say to us uh, when we invite foolishness into our, our lives and we just have this, this burning desire to say what's in our, on our minds all the time and say, no, Lord, keep a watch over the door of my mouth. When we have a desire to forget that you are present to us in those times of, of temptation, those times where we are inclined to wander from you, Lord. So we pray for the Lord in those ways and I'm praying for you. Please pray for me. My name is Father Mike. I cannot wait to see you tomorrow. God bless. Thank you.